there is someone that I would like to, to know more. Um, and I think as I, um, uh, read scripture more, um, Peter is one of the disciples that I, uh, often actually didn't consider when you'd ask if you had to meet one of the disciples, I don't know if I would have said Peter, but as I've learned more about Peter, um, of course, any of them, you know, I'd hang out with any, I mean, I'd be un unreal, any disciple, but Peter is one that's been interesting. And I'm excited for us as we start this new series uh, in second Peter for the next month or so, uh, six weeks. Uh, I'm excited to kind of learn even about him and have him share with us what he's learned, what it looks like to know Jesus and to grow in the grace that We've been given through Christ. So I'm, I'm excited for us to start this new series today. We're going to be going through uh, August and into September a little bit um, and just looking at Second Peter. So I encourage you to read through Second Peter. It's only three chapters. Um, you can read it in a few minutes. And so sit down and read through it. It's one that I've read uh, through a few times in a few different translations of the Bible and it's been really, every time, encouraging new things, uh, just seeing the wisdom that Peter has gained in a long life, uh, going through a lot of things and, and growing closer and, and understanding and knowing Jesus uh, more. Well, in the year 64, we don't often get to say just 64 as the year. It was a while ago, 2000 plus, 2000 you know, years ago. Um, Emperor Nero was ruling in the Roman Empire, um, and um, in that time, he had a man killed. Tradition says that Peter was killed during Nero's time and actually was crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. It's interesting. Not long before he was killed, we're not sure exactly how long, he wrote a letter. He wrote this letter, um, as people did then, to communicate things. Um, he wrote this letter to uh, the churches in Asia Minor, which is uh, an area of Turkey today. And he wanted to encourage the people there to rest in the grace and peace that they're given through knowing Jesus. In, in, second, in his first letter, he writes them, he writes again, another letter in second, that's that we call second Peter. We have first and second Peter. He writes those letters. And in second Peter, he writes them to uh, encourage them in the grace and peace that comes from knowing Jesus, but also uh, warn them against false teachers, the lives that those people were living and the words that they were sharing, the, uh, the experience that he, they were seeing with these people and also the, um, the understanding these people had of the gospel. He didn't feel were congruent with what Jesus had taught and what the gospel is. And so he writes this letter to warn them and encourage them. And in the letter, he actually says he thinks this is kind of the end. It's kind of his farewell letter, knowing that his time was coming to an end. I don't know if he knew that he was going to be killed or if he maybe felt old and maybe just felt like around him things were chaotic, kind of crazy. And he thought this is probably it. Um, and, and probably the spirit was on him, the spirit of God just saying, I think this is it for you, Peter. So we are going to open up, um, our Bibles today 
in this in second Peter. And we're going to start just with the first few verses, just the greeting of when Peter writes this letter, uh, how he just starts it, how he introduces himself and Jesus and what, and, and how he talks to the people there. I think it's really interesting. The people in Asia Minor would have been, he would have written this letter to Gentiles, people who were not uh, born into God's people in the sense of born as Hebrews, as Jewish people. Uh, and Peter knows um, a lot about that. We're going to get to that. Let's start, though, by opening up our Bibles to Second Peter. Um, I'll have the scripture right here on the screen if you want to follow along. Um, otherwise, uh, it's just two verses today in Second Peter. Let's read together. Second um, Peter uh, 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter starts by introducing himself. This is He's saying, hi, this is from Peter. And who am I? I am a servant and an apostle of Jesus. This name Simon Peter is interesting. Peter, um, his name is Simon or Simeon. Um, and he uses here in the original language, he uses the, the, the way they would actually write Simeon. It actually is written a little different than here, um, which is how we, why we know we, we really think Peter did write this. Um, he says, I'm also a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you had heard stories of Peter at this time, uh, if the church knew of Peter, I mean, he's Peter, uh, the rock, right? People, his name means rock or stone, like Peter's a big deal. And I love that he starts this by saying, I'm a servant and apostle. What do those words mean? The word servant here uh, is actually Better, the better word might be slave here. It's a word that's used throughout scripture as someone who is a, a slave to a master. Um, and so he's saying here, I am, uh, Jesus is my master. Um, and he's also saying, I'm an apostle, which is a messenger, which is one sent by uh, a Lord or a king or someone to bring the message of their kingdom to others. And so he's saying, I am uh, under the rule of Jesus, the good king, and I am sent to bring the message of his kingdom to those. And this is the this is the story of Peter. Um, he could say, I'm Peter. Remember, I did all these cool things, but he, he says, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a messenger. Now, I don't know how well you know this story. Uh, Peter, I'm going to give a little highlight. Some of the moments that I remember as I just skim through the Gospels and hear about Peter. It's important for us to hear the whole story of Peter. If we just hear Peter wrote some of Scripture and died crucified upside down because um, he didn't think he's worthy to die like his Savior, we might hold him up as this uh, person who's kind of impossible to ever uh, model our lives after, or this person who seems to have this greatness I could never be a Peter. I, I want us to hear how Peter's life um, works. Peter was fishing when Jesus first calls him. We see way back in the beginning of the Gospels. And Jesus says, come on, come on, Simon. Let's go. Let's, I want you to follow me. And he actually comes with Jesus and he becomes uh, the spokesperson for the disciples often. He's the one who comes to Jesus and says, hey, we've been talking about stuff. How does this work? 
why, why does this happen? He's a leader amongst the disciples and actually one of Jesus's closest friends. He really gets to know Jesus. Like they're tight. Jesus, he's the one who eventually confesses to Jesus uh, when they're sitting and Jesus is asking, who do they think he is? He's the one who says, you are the Messiah. You have been sent to deliver us. And Jesus says, this is, this is the part where we first hear this Peter Rock reference. Jesus says, yeah, the thing you just said, I'm going to build my church on that. That will be the rock that I build my church on. The, the understanding that I am the Messiah and that I've come to rescue God's people. This is Peter, what you just said, what Peter believes and just said, I'm going to build my church on. Peter, the rock, just said the foundational message of the gospel. But it's not that long after that, that Jesus calls Peter Satan. Because Peter believes, uh, as many of the people do, that, that when Jesus is saying he's the Messiah, he's coming as what they would hope would be the political and military and economic savior, the one who would take over uh, and, and overthrow the Romans or whoever's ruling and would establish a kingdom and, and the Jewish people would be become the ones in charge and, and Jesus would be that, that, the one who would lead all of that. And so you wonder when, when, when Peter confesses that, when he first says, yeah, you're the Messiah, part of him is saying, yeah, you're going to overthrow evil. And Jesus say, yeah, but you don't totally know what that means. And later he tells Peter to get behind him. He calls him Satan. Like what interesting relationship there. Peter and Jesus are close, but Peter seems to not always really know what Jesus is trying to say. He doesn't totally understand yet. Um, Peter's the one who's in a boat. Another great Peter moment is he's in the boat and they see, uh, remember it's nighttime and they see someone walking on the water towards them. And they're like, is that a ghost? What is it? And they realize it's Jesus. And Peter's the one who, who asks to walk out on the water. And Jesus says, come, come, come. And um, Peter has the boldness, the faith to say, if you're here with me, I can walk on water with you. And he steps out of the boat. Remember, he even starts to sink and Jesus uh, encourages him in his faith to believe that I can do this. Um, it's a classic Sunday school moment. If you ever in Sunday school, that's when I always remember coloring pages and acting out with figurines. Peter walking on the water. Peter's the one who, when Jesus, after the last supper and they're in the garden, Jesus is about to get arrested, put on trial and crucified. When they, the guards come to take him, Peter leaps into action, again, believing this idea that we're going to overthrow these people. Maybe that's the moment Peter thought, this is it. This is when the rebellion starts. They come to take Jesus and we fight and Peter takes out his little sword and he uh, swipes at a, at a soldier and cuts off his ear. Remember this is Jesus yells at Peter, stop, what are you doing? This is not how this... This is not how I establish my kingdom, by sword. Um, and then Jesus actually takes the ear and then he heals him. It's a wild moment. Again, Peter is with him, knows him, is ex has experienced miracles and all that Jesus is doing. Um, still not, I don't know how well he really understands and knows 
what Jesus is there to do. But another big Peter moment, Jesus actually even in that same night, it tells Peter he's going to deny him. Peter says, I have all, I will die for you, Jesus. And he says, when I'm put on trial, arrested, people are going to ask if you know me and you'll say no. And we see that actually happen. Peter has this crisis where Jesus is arrested and he, uh, I don't know if he's concerned with his own well-being, I'm sure. He's thinking, I could be arrested and killed. Maybe he's doubting. Maybe Jesus isn't who he thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to rule, become king. He's not the thing I thought. I don't maybe understand. And so three times he's asked, hey, are you one of his disciples? Are you are you with Jesus' crew? And No, no, no. In fact, I remember this in the Passion of the Christ movie. There's a moment where right when, right when Peter denies Jesus, the third time, he says, no, I don't know him. Right then in the movie, there's this amazing uh, scene where you see Jesus look at Peter, and Peter looks at Jesus. Jesus looks right at him as he's saying, I don't know him. He does know him, though, right? This is an interesting life that Peter has had in these few years with Jesus in getting to know him, trying to understand the actual gospel that Jesus is preaching to them and teaching them, and also just experiencing what it's like to see the gospel uh, alive around as it's healing and delivering people. After the resurrection, we uh, see Jesus come to Peter. He actually, in John 21, he reestablishes Peter as a leader. They uh, in John, we don't see the same stories as the other gospels. We don't see the same moments. Uh, John shares some other moments that happen. And the disciples are um, fishing. Jesus raises from the dead. They're fishing on a lake. And Jesus comes over, and they don't necessarily recognize him right away. And when they do recognize him, Peter jumps out of the boat. It says he swims about 100 yards to see Jesus on the shore. Can't wait to pull on the nets. Can't wait to row the boat quick to shore. He just leaps in the water and swims to Jesus. And like, like, like Peter had denied him three times, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. In this moment now, this interaction they have together, he's sitting with Jesus on a beach and they're eating fish together. They're making breakfast. So over breakfast, having fish, Jesus asks him something three times. He says, will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my sheep? Of course, yes, 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 Peter says. And this time, Jesus sort of like installs him as one of the leaders, as an apostle. I need you now to deliver this nourishment, this bread of life, this living water to people, that they should know the, the gospel. All of a sudden, as Jesus is dead and rises from the dead, defeating sin and death, Peter so things come together. He really is fully understanding who Jesus is and knowing Jesus. And so he gets this opportunity to then lead from there. Jesus then um, tells them the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to be with them. It's going to help them know him better and understand him better and help all people know him and understand him. He's going to empower them. And we see this happen. The Holy Spirit comes in the beginning of Acts. Peter then Peter goes from, I don't know Jesus, three times, to, I can't wait to see you. I'm going to jump out of a boat and swim to you, to the Holy Spirit 
God comes and is with him and empowers him and emboldens him, that Jesus then preaches to a crowd of people. Just, do you know this good news that brings joy and peace, this grace that's come to you? And they say 3,000 people right then turn their hearts to Jesus, want to know Jesus, repent. And and so we see that continue. Peter uh, goes from the fisherman called to know Jesus, unsure of who Jesus is, hoping he'll overthrow the governments there and, and rule, realizing he's actually come to overthrow all evil and establish this spiritual kingdom that we all are, get to be a part of. It's unbelievable. In the book of Acts, we see Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just move through places and God do amazing things through him. It's amazing that Peter knows Jesus in this incredible way. Could you imagine sitting with Peter, hearing all those stories, even him explaining to us how he came to the point of saying, I'm a servant and an apostle. I'm a slave to Jesus and a messenger sent from my king to tell those the great good news. He understands the great grandness of Jesus as king. And so he can open his letter to these churches and say, hey, I'm Peter here to serve and bring a message of Jesus. And then he addresses the people uh, in Asia Minor, the people in the churches. He says to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. This is actually a pretty significant verse in Scripture. He's saying, hey, to all of you, I'm writing this letter to you who've got your rightness with God. The justice has been taken care of. Things are right between you and God. Your sin has been forgiven. I have suffered so you would not to suffer. You have a relationship with our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's actually one of the few times we're just in Scripture where just clearly it says Jesus is God. Jesus is our God, and he has saved us. He's not like a great prophet who told us about a God who saved us. He is God who saved us. So he's telling them Jesus is God, and because of him, we're made right with God now. And we've received that. God has given us this faith, and it is so precious. The reason the wording here says you have a faith as precious as ours is that Peter uh, is Jewish, but he's talking to people who are not Jewish. And so his tradition would have been, and for a long time we see in Scripture and in history, that God's people were called like his chosen people. And they started believing they were more important people. Not that they were chosen to be a light to the world, to, to bear God's image so more people could know him, but to be special and set apart and that, um, that, that they got to kind of hide and enjoy God while all those others, Gentiles, often called animals, those animals, um, you know, let them run, run from them, hide from them. And so it's really amazing here. And this is amazing because actually we see in Acts 10, this happened to Peter. What, what happens to him? In Acts 10, we get this moment. You may remember this scene in scripture. It's kind of a wild moment. This is a, uh, a moment that I think if you heard a friend tell you this story, you'd say like, you're, 
you ate something weird last night. He has this vision. She says he sits down to eat and then goes into a trance or a vision or falls asleep. But God gives him this vision uh, for Peter, who is struggling with this a little bit, unsure. Well, aren't isn't this just for the Jews? Didn't Jesus just come as the Messiah to save the Jewish people because we're chosen people? And Jesus is trying to explain to him, you know, it's for all people. All people are part of it. The kingdom isn't about Jews now ruling over other people. It's about all people coming under Jesus. And so this vision happens where he passes out or sees this thing where this blanket is coming from heaven, this sheet, and it's filled with all these animals and food. And Jesus says, all of this is good to eat. He's signaling to, to Peter. He's showing him symbolically and telling him in this vision Peter, there's certain foods and things that you don't eat because it keeps you feeling like you're following the rules and that you're special and you're above other people. And that's not, that's not true. It's for all. I'm, the gospel is for all people. And so after that, this amazing thing happens. Peter goes and he's the first of the apostles to bring the message of the gospel to Gentile people. Peter himself uh, goes and, and gets to preach to people who, who aren't Jews, who actually maybe haven't heard all of uh, the Old Testament, know the stories of God. He gets to explain all that to them and tell them that Jesus has come to save them. So he very it's very personal for him that he, was, he were to say here, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours because there is a, there's a place where people could believe our faith is precious and important and maybe more important. Or maybe Gentiles can be in the family, but they're not as important as Jewish people. And he's saying, all of us have this precious faith that is equal before God, that we've all been saved, that this has made us equal at the foot of the cross. It's such a great message. And so he's encouraging them right away. Hey, the, I am Peter, a servant and messenger of Jesus and what a great gift we've been given, this faith that is as precious as our faith. All of our faiths are precious as we've received them from Jesus. I love this. The things Peter has got to experience, and now as he's writing this kind of last letter to, to God's people, he's um, all of that experience of knowing Jesus and understanding of the gospel are coming together and he's really encouraging us just in this simple greeting. And finally, in his greeting in verse 2, we hear grace and peace be yours in abundance. I love that phrase. Peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he ends his greeting with, he wants us to have grace, this gift that, that God has lavished on us. And this peace that comes, and not just peace, I love that he, he adds this in abundance. He wants us to have just be overwhelmed, flooded, swimming in peace and grace. And how does that come? It comes through knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It comes in knowing God, knowing Jesus our Lord. And this is where, um, as we move to to uh, end our time in the in the first uh, verses of, of Peter, I think it's this is really important for us to understand. This word here, knowledge, 
or knowing of God and Jesus is used all over scripture. This word is interesting because this word holds, I think, more meaning than what I typically, when I say knowledge, I think I read a bunch of stuff. I know some stuff. I went to a class. I know some stuff. I have a degree in this thing. I know some stuff. And this word has a richer uh, history to it and a richer meaning to it. Not just this knowing of the information, but a knowing. Like if you say, hey, do you know that person? Oh, I, I know that person. Yeah, but do you know that person? This word is a similar word that's used uh, in Old Testament when it talks about a husband and wife knowing each other, you know, knowing each other. It talks about this intimacy. Uh, it's it's a word that's used for intimacy um, uh, sexually in a relationship, uh, relationally, emotionally, intellectually, this, uh, this um, really understanding, weaving people together knowing. And also understanding the person, actually knowing information. But it's this kind of connection of those two. I've, um, I, I think this is helpful for this is helpful for me to think about this. This knowing Jesus, this peace and grace comes to us because of two things: because we feel it, we experience Jesus, we know Him. Like think of Peter right here, the heart, right, right on my hand here, the heart. We. There's an experience, a, a life, a, even just time with a person. And, and as we get to know Jesus through prayer, as Drew shared earlier with us, there's things we can do like prayer, communicate, resting in Jesus, being in his word and not just his word to know, understand, have the right theology, but to rest in him. And also we have this understanding to know is just to understand, to, to actually think about theology, which is the understanding of God. Who is God? Understanding scripture. So it's not just how I feel and it seems like, oh, Jesus and I are cool and it feels good or this doesn't feel good. It's not just our feelings. We can't also just trust our flesh. It's an experience. It's a feeling, but it's also this knowledge. So it's it's this combo of our head and our heart. I think we we, we do this a lot in the church. We move back and forth. So our tradition might be, we're the kind of church that reads the Bible, has good theology, has right doctrine, and we know what is right. We know the facts, and here's the facts, and here's truth. And we know it, and that's all we need. And so we look at people who are like, oh, man, they like to sing really loud and really long, and their services are all just about them getting worked up and their feeling, right? And they're all about just praying a lot and getting getting themselves worked up, right? We might we can we can put ourselves there, or we could put ourselves over here. We say, oh, those where we do just want to meet, and all we want we just want to do things that that help us experience God. We want to take a walk in the woods and go, wow, creation! I'm having this moment where I'm experiencing God, where I feel like I'm intimately connecting to God in my life. I'm I'm having a really terrible day, and I'm sitting and praying, and God is meeting me here. And having this moment, but uh, and we might look at people and say, "Oh, look at the, all they care about is the facts and figuring out scripture." And you know what? I'll, I'll figure it out just by how it's feeling. It's always changing. God's always, and so there can be danger here, right? Because you could hang out in the trees and say, "Man, nature's cool and scripture is okay," and like we're, um, you know, the trees make me think about God, and maybe I don't know, maybe the trees are God, and all of a sudden, just our experience our feelings, right? Our heart 
can take us away from also scripture that lets us know truth in the same way, right? The other way, we can just just read scripture and have no experience with God or God's people. Or we think like, oh, the only prayers I'm going to read are ones that have been written by old Puritans, right? Because those are like holier or, or, or perfect theologically. I think we have this great, right? And I think a lot of us, I'm so encouraged by so many of you because you do, this is a weaving of these, right? Uh, we have this head and heart all together knowing Jesus. So the grace and peace comes to us because we know Jesus. We know his word and we learn from his word and we know what he has for us and we know what he set up that's good and right and what's not good and right. But we also get to experience Jesus in our lives. Think of how Peter had this happen. He sat with Jesus and Jesus taught him right theology, right? There's, I'm guessing Jesus wasn't like figuring stuff out, how Jesus worked, right? But he also experienced Jesus, those things playing out in his life. I'm going to quote Jackie Hill Perry again. Last week I quoted her. She's there's a lot of good stuff. So I, I was excited to quote her because she tells a story of a woman that she met who really changed her life because of the way she knew God and she wanted to know God in that way. And she shares about uh, hanging out with her and seeing the way her life plays out. And this is one of the things she says. This woman showed me that knowing God was more than knowing about him, right? Think that's a just about him. You can do that from scripture, right? In your head and doing things for him. And then just experiencing by just like, I need to do stuff to make you happy or to appease the gods. I love how she says this. So listen again. This woman showed me that knowing God was more than knowing about him or doing things for him, but knowing him. <laughs> this would be a terrible, right? If you're on a debate team, the argument would be like, yeah, but knowing God is knowing God. Okay, use another word, right? I love this. She said, this woman taught me that I could know about God. I could do things for him, but I don't really know him. Think about your relationships with people. This happens as a parent, I feel like, often. I could know stuff about my kids. I can say I know what they need to do. I know what they what I need to do. And then I can say, hey, look at this cool thing I got for you. Go outside and play with it. And then they, two minutes later, are standing next to me. I say, well, didn't I get you a cool thing? I know you need to move your body and exercise. So I got you this squirt gun thing. You should go play with it. And then they say, yeah, can't you come out with us? Yeah, but, you know, all you need is exercise. And I got you something. Hey, we just want to hang out with you with like a cardboard box. Like, Dad, I just want to be with you and know you more. Oh, yeah, you do. Right? Could you, in my marriage, I could say, Kelly, I love you. I love you. I love you. And if there was no experience for her that showed that love, if there wasn't a connection made for us by uh, how we cared for each other, how we experienced things together, how I loved her even when it was hard or when it was great, that, that knowing wouldn't be nearly as connected as woven together. And so we get this opportunity to, to not just say, I love you, and I know you love me, but say, let's experience that together. That's where, in our lives, we get the opportunity to, to pray. We get the opportunity to repent 
when we say, God, I've turned from you. I'm going to take actual action to move towards you and experience you, experience grace and forgiveness in you. I want us to end with um, one more Peter story. Um, um, in the book of Acts, um, there's a moment where Peter and John, in the beginning of Acts, really start doing their ministry as they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. I share this because I think when grace and peace is abundantly lavished on them, it changes how they do stuff. It changes how they live. And I want to encourage us with this same thing as we end. Grace and peace is, is abundantly given to John and Peter, and they are walking up to a temple, and there's a guy sitting outside the temple. And he says, hey, can I have some money? He can't walk. Can I have some money? And uh, they say, you don't need, we don't really have money. That's not really what you need. And they pray for him and he can walk. I mean, the power of the spirit <laughs> moves through them and heals this guy. All of a sudden he can walk. It's unbelievable. And he runs and tells people, of course, and people that's the guy who can't walk, who sits on the temple steps. This is nuts. So people are not happy about that because now they are causing some problems for multiple reasons. Um, but ultimately the authorities are not cool and they're not cool that they're saying Jesus is God in the only way. And so they get arrested they're brought before um, this council and, and, and Peter and John, this is what happens with them. Uh, they had Peter and John brought before them and it began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Think, think of that even. Think of that. There's not a celebration. Thank you for healing this guy. How amazing is this? The question is, what power did you do this? What name are you doing this in? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and leaders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. So they ask him a question, and then he decides to give them a, a, a quick sermon. I'm sure is not what they're looking for. Know this, you and all the people of Israel. He's saying everyone needs to hear this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Let's pause there. The, these are the people of the power to like kill him because he saw them. He saw him kill Jesus. They're standing there. I would say, sorry, I didn't know that wasn't allowed. I, I can leave. And he says, hey, you killed God. Uh, and God then... <laughs> Raise Jesus from the dead, that this man stands before you as healed. So he's saying, I healed him by the power of Jesus, who you crucified. And God raised him, and he raised this guy and healed him. Jesus, the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which they can be saved. He, he shares the gospel with them. He says, this is all I know. This is my understanding of who Jesus is, my experience with him. I know Jesus, and he's the only one who's going to save us. This is the part I want you to hear. They, uh, I, I can't, I'm sure they weren't expecting that. 
And then they say to each other, when they saw the courage of John and Peter and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus or had known Jesus or knew Jesus. So the grace and peace for us, I want to be encouraged that right now, like Drew had shared right now, I need abundant amount of peace. And I need an abundant amount of grace. And I need it because I feel like I'm in a place, and a lot of us are in a place where things are unknown and we're wearing masks and it feels uncertain and it feels like every week we're waiting to hear if we're going to be quarantined again in our homes and what we have to do when we go out and where we can meet and if we can meet. And I need that peace and grace for me to encourage me to fill my cup. But I want to encourage us too that when that grace and peace comes abundantly, it's going to overflow out of our cups. My prayer is it would overflow of our cups. And that people would look at us and say, wow, what boldness and courage you have to speak important truth that there's life, there's peace and grace, and that you're just ordinary people. Look at you ordinary people. You must know Jesus to be able to do this. And so we can look at Peter. Wow, Peter, man, you're incredible. But even in Acts 4, we see you're just an ordinary person, but you know Jesus. And so how important for us to know Jesus, not for our own grace and peace in our lives, but for what Peter's going to get at as we get into this book, for others around us, for the people in our community who need to know that there is grace and peace. And that as we know Jesus more, he gives us great joy in doing that. What happens right after this is they go back to, they let them go and they say, stop talking about Jesus or, or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And your lives are kind of at stake here. They go back to the church and they say, hey, what happened? They told us to stop talking about Jesus. And they sit down and the first thing they do is pray that God would make them bold that they would talk about Jesus that they would proclaim the good news. So that's my prayer, that we would, as we know Jesus more, we would not just be filled with peace and grace, but that would overflow to a lot of people who need to know peace and grace. A few questions to consider as we wrap up our time. We're about to take communion. If you want to grab your communion supplies and just celebrate this good Jesus that we do know, have you the first? Have you received the precious faith in Jesus? If you if you don't know Jesus, it's right now. Wherever you're at right now, you can do it. So do you know Jesus? And how can you continue to get to know Jesus? It's not a it's not a thing that we just know and then we're done and we move on. It's a forever thing. Can you imagine if I asked my wife, Kelly, I said, Hey, I already know you. I don't need to know we don't need to spend time together. I know you. I said it to my kids, I said it to friends. We get to continue to know Jesus, which will continue to abundantly uh, pour grace and peace on us. And then a, a question, I think, just where do you go for grace and peace? Because I don't always go to know Jesus. I go to know other things that don't really bring grace and peace like he does. And so the opportunity to consider what do you go to that's not Jesus and repent and turn to him as, a, as an experience that will actually help you know Jesus more. And will people know that you know Jesus this week? Consider 
what that would look like to be a person who's known for the Jesus that they know.